Last week we talked about when your world falls apart and we're looking at some really important questions in life and I have just thought, as a matter of fact, yesterday morning I, I just got down on my knees. What a day. Water baptism last week. Hearing from one of our missionaries, you know, what God did. Ten people crossed the line here and gave their hearts to Jesus last Sunday morning after the service. Can we give the Lord hand praise for that? That is just, just incredible. I watched Bill up there with his granddaughter, and I thought, boy, what a blessing for that grandpa. I watched Elizabeth, Elizabeth, you know, just rejoicing. And then this whole week, it's just, it's been one of those weeks where you've just been conscious of the good hand of the Lord. To see what our kids have achieved. I think Pastor Mark and Pastor Corey make a great team together. But I think you as parents have so much reason, so much cause to rejoice that your kids want to honor God with their talents. And if you were here for the showcase last week, it was just amazing how these kids ministered. My prayer, though, this week has been that we would understand the call of God upon our lives. And I'm not preaching about the call to preach the gospel. There is a call for that, but this morning I'm talking about the call of God on each of our lives. The call of God that goes out to every person in the world. Jesus said, if you have ears, then listen. Matter of fact, he says it this way, if you have ears, pay attention. And it's not that I've never felt like you haven't paid attention before. But this week I have really been praying, God, help us to pay close attention to what this call upon our lives means. What this means for you and I as passionate followers of Jesus Christ. I found myself praying for you early this morning, knowing how it can be on a Sunday when daylight savings time takes place that God would help us pay attention. And if Jesus said that, and he was the greatest communicator in the world, how much more do I need to pray that for you and I, that God would help us pay attention. My friend, good friend, Bill Bays, traveled for years as backup singer for Elvis Presley. Bill's one of the finest tenors I've ever heard. Bill's a passionate follower of Jesus, loves Christ. Elvis was proud of the fact that Bill was a passionate follower of Jesus. So a lot of times at different events, Elvis would come up and take whatever Bill was drinking, sniff it, and sometimes taste his own drink, taste the drink to be sure there was no alcohol in it because he wanted Bill to be a follower of Jesus. He wanted Bill to pray. And although I never knew him, Bill told me how that Elvis would just cry listening to gospel songs and to the hymns of the church. And if you've ever listened, somebody here a few years ago gave me a, a CD of Elvis singing hymns. 
And I remember playing that in my car on a trip and listening and going, how can you sing these songs and not be a passionate follower of Jesus Christ? Talks about, told me about times that Elvis would invite him up to his room and they would listen to a preacher on television. And Elvis would just cry. There was a word that I heard on a television show, a BBC show I was watching with Becky this week because I was going to use the word waver. But this British actor used the word wobble in making a decision that he nearly really messed up. He says, I, I wobbled. And I started laughing, although it was a serious point in the show, because my grandson, Davin, says that a lot, wobble. And he'll come up to me and he'll go, Papa, wobble, 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 wobble. And he'll just start doing that right there. And of course, I do what you do. And so he'll just all day long come up, Papa, wobble, wobble, wobble. And he'll just start wobbling from side to side. And I was telling him one day about a toy. Weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. And we had to look, some of you are shaking your head. You remember those toys, don't you? <laughs> And so I, I had to show him on the internet what a weeble was, and so I've got to find one now for him. But there was a politician, matter of fact, a king by the name of Herod, who really wobbled a lot. The Bible says he loved to hear John the Baptist preach. Matter of fact, the Bible says that there were times when John the Baptist would be preaching, and Herod's heart would be greatly disturbed. One translation says that Herod's heart would be troubled. Another translation, Eugene Peterson in the message says that he couldn't stay away from listening to John the Baptist preach. But he liked the preaching. He liked the songs of the church and he liked the music. But Herod could never find it within himself to make that commitment to follow Jesus because of the pressure of the crowd. In the story that the Bible tells us about Herod and John the Baptist, there were people who disliked John's preaching so much, they wanted to kill John. But the Bible says Herod protected him because he liked John. But the pressure of the crowd became so great that even though it saddened him, he took the head of John off his shoulders and killed him. And there are a lot of people that I've discovered over the years of my life in ministry, the pressure of the crowd is so great, what will my friends think at work? What will they think at school, what will my classmates think? What will the people that I party with think? And the pressure of the crowd is so good that rather than embrace the love of God, we crucify him all over again by saying, we want nothing to do with you. And make no mistake, God loves this world. God loves, I mean, that's the most well-known passage here is that God loves this world that he gave his only begotten son and to reject 
that amazing gift of God's love, it grieves the heart of the Father because we wobble maybe over what other people think, maybe what we have counted the cost and say, no, I don't want to. But Jesus is saying to you and to me this morning, if you have ears, pay attention to the call of God upon your life and my life. So I'm going to ask you if you would stand with me and let's ask the Lord to help us to listen this morning. I love you, Jesus. And Lord, though those words come easily to me, I confess it was a real struggle for me to learn how to love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you know my heart better than anyone else in this room, including Becky. You know how imperfect my love still is for you. But this morning, I want to love you better today than yesterday. I want to love you more today than yesterday. And Lord, I want to hear your call upon my life. I want Woodland to hear your call upon their lives as well. And so now, Holy Spirit, I ask you for a miracle this morning. We prayed for healing. We prayed for our nation, but now we pray for ourselves. Lord, help us to pay attention. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. For it's in Jesus' precious name I pray. And everyone said, Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Follow along with me. Well, each of us are called to follow Jesus. Each of us are called to follow Jesus. I think the problem that John the Baptist had, and if I could be so bold, even though I didn't know him, and what my friend Bill told me about his relationship and the years he spent with Elvis, is that the gospel always requires a decision. When Jesus calls us to follow him, there's a decision that we have to make. We have to choose to follow him. And that call is a deliberate call. It's an instructive call. Jesus has various ways that he describes the call of God to us. One time Jesus said that the call was, was like choosing between the broad road and the narrow road. The broad road leads to destruction and the narrow road leads to life. Jesus one time says that the road is like walking in light and walking in darkness. And when you follow Jesus, you're going to be walking in a world and a new life that is filled with the light of God's illumination about what life is all about and what your life is all about and God's plan for your life. Or you can choose to continue to walk in darkness and then ignore what God says. Another time, Jesus describes the call of God upon our lives as choosing to build our house upon the rock, the teachings of Jesus Christ, or to build our house upon the sand. And when the storms come, those who build their house upon the rock, their lives stand, but those who build their hands, their lives upon the sand, their lives collapse and fall. Peter, even in the book of Acts, on that wonderful day of Pentecost, when Jerusalem was shook by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and 
Peter preached and explained what had happened at Calvary and what Christ had done for us, as Peter explained that, the Bible says that those who were listening to him, they were disturbed in their hearts. They were troubled in their hearts. One translation says that the word pierced their hearts and they found themselves crying out to Peter, what should we do? And it's amazing to me that those wonderful signs of Pentecost, none of them ask about those signs, but is what should we do about this call to follow Jesus? And Peter just simply says to them, choose, repent of your sins and follow after Christ. You will never, never follow Christ if you see just the conflicts in our world. You will never follow Christ if you see just the troubles in our world. You will never follow Christ if you choose to focus upon the failings of the church and the failings of God's people. But you will always choose to follow Christ if you hear his word where Jesus calls out to them and says, come and follow me. You see, the devil makes it his job, especially in America, where we're taught that everybody is good and everybody is born good and the, the, doctrine, the doctrine of sin is no longer talked about either in our schools or in our churches or maybe in our home groups this morning. Someone this week told me, says, I don't believe in original sin. I, don't, I believe there's sin, but I don't believe that we were born sinners. And I said, well, explain to me why you don't believe that. And it was a fascinating and interesting conversation as I listened to them give me all of their human and their philosophical reasons of why they didn't believe in sin, that everybody is born good. But when I read to them the scriptures, suddenly that worldview began to fall apart. We were conceived in sin. The Bible is very clear in the book of Romans about the original sin in our life. But you see, the devil, as long as he can convince you, you're okay, you're a good guy, you don't abuse your spouse, you pay your taxes, you, you maybe even tithe to a church, you and belong to this church. And, but somehow or another, there's never come a point in your life where you have admitted your personal need for Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins and to come into your life and change your life. You've never admitted that you are powerless to save yourself, that your good works the Bible describes them. Though you love your wife, you love your neighbor, you do good things, you said to yourself, I'm okay. You've believed the lie of the devil. Jesus died not just for bad people. Jesus died for good people this morning because all of us have sinned and all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And God loved you too much to let you die in your sins. So he gave you Jesus. Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's what it means to hear the gospel. But it also means that we follow him and we learn how to be Christians. We learn what it means to be a Christian. You know, as a follower of Jesus, there's sin that I had to renounce in my life. There's sin that all of us had to renounce in our life. To follow Jesus is to believe his word and what he says about our sins. Jesus calls us, listen to this, the call of God upon our lives is forsake sin. 
renounce sin, abandon sin. And he gets very specific about what sin is. Sin is more than just this general condition of human beings, but it's those things in our life. Jesus goes so far as one time as he says these sins are evil thoughts and murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, lying, slander. He even one time goes even further than that and says that if you hate your brother, you have committed murder in your life. He says if you've lust after someone else, you have committed adultery in your heart. He becomes very specific about these sins. In other words, if you don't renounce your sin and follow Jesus Christ and you wobble because you're a good guy or you're a good woman and you refuse, then Jesus warns that straight gate and that narrow gate, that, 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 that way that leads to life. You either choose to follow Jesus and go to heaven or you choose to go to hell. And again, that is not something people like to talk about very much, but Jesus talked about hell far more than he talked about heaven. Jesus warned us about hell. Hell is a real place. Hell is factual. But the scary thing about hell to me is hell is final. And it's what helped me to understand that grandmother that we buried yesterday, that grandmother who knew that the gospel was more than just a good news that God loves everybody. The gospel is God's call for us to follow him. Jesus says, follow me and I will show you how to fish for people in Mark chapter one and verse 17. To follow Jesus, there is a specific calling that not only calls renouncing sin, but sometimes it's a choice to take up our cross and to follow him and become passionate followers of Christ. Make no doubt about it. Your sickness is not your cross. Don't cheapen what Jesus meant when he says, take up your cross and follow me. Don't cheapen what Jesus meant by saying that if you, unless you take up your cross and follow me, you have no part of me. Don't cheapen that because the taking up of our cross is a choice. You can avoid the cross. Jesus could have avoided the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane when everything in him just rebelled against the taking of the sins upon, of the world upon himself, of going to Calvary. He prayed this prayer, Lord, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But as he waited in the presence of God, he knew according to the will of the Father, there's no way. There's no way that any of us would be saved unless Jesus Christ was willing to take up that cross and take the sins of the world upon himself and die for us. My cross was not the illness or the disease that I was born with. I had no choice about that. My grandson Josiah, his illness and his incurable disease, he had no choice about that. That is not his cross. The cross is something you choose to do when you say, not my will, but thine be done. There was a rich young man who came to Jesus. He had avoided very specific sins in his life. He asked Jesus, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, looking at him and loving him, he said to him, not to all of us, but he said to this particular man, again, not to all of us, but to this particular man, he says, 
you know, you have, but if you want to be perfect, then go and sell everything you own and give it away and then come and follow me. And in a materialistic world where we measure ourselves by our addresses, we measure ourselves by our income, we measure ourselves by the title upon our offices, we measure ourselves by such outward things because materialism spells success in America. Jesus looks at the idol in this man's heart. Though he honored his mother, though he honored his father, though he had kept the Ten Commandments, he looked at Je Jesus, looked at him, and he saw the idol that came before Christ, and that idol was his possessions. He says, sell it and follow me. Whatever it is that keeps me from passionately following Jesus from all my heart, whatever it is that keeps me from selling out 100% to Jesus Christ, that's the cross that I must bear. Give it away. Do whatever it takes in order that I might follow Christ with all my heart. And the young man wobbled. The young man wavered. And he turned away, having started with a good intent in his life. And the Bible says he went away sorrowful and Jesus was sorrowful. You see, it could be God calling you to change a career. It could be God speaking to you like he did to Bill and Karen Strong, who will be with us very shortly. Bill, who had a career in the grocery business. Karen, who was a school teacher. And it could be that God calls you to take up your cross and to go and to live in a Middle Eastern country and teach English and share the gospel and to encourage believers there to live with their lives the line every single day and as they gave up their careers and they gave up their benefits in order to follow the call of God upon their life they chose to take up their cross they could have avoided it it could be like my friend that I went to Bible college with that God spoke to him in Bible college and told him you're called and calling you to a life of singleness and he has been an armor bearer for his pastors over the years as he has worked and lived as a single man and when we were last together and now we're both in our 60s and he looked at me and says there are times where I wish that I could have had a wife there are times where I wish that I could have had a child he says but I have given God everything in order to serve him in the ministry and D there is no regret I have known only joy and I have known only blessing there are times that I wish that I could have had what you and Becky have had but God has been so good to me. Make no mistake about it. Taking up your cross may be hard, but when Jesus took up his cross, it was for the joy that was set before him, that he endured the agonies of the cross. The will of God will always be joyful in the end. Hallelujah. It will always be joyful in the end. Because God calls us to flourish. When we take up our cross and we fall like a seed in the ground, God is not calling us to wither away and die, but he's calling us to flourish. It's the promise of our calling that God has called us to have life and to live it more abundantly. And abundant life is about living in this deep and this intimate communion with Jesus Christ. 
As we said last week, if Jesus is the Lord of everything in your life and you love him with all your heart, if you are totally committed to the will of God, when everything falls apart around about you, you don't fall apart because you are standing on the solid rock of Christ Jesus. Now, can we give him a hand of praise for that? If you grew up in a home like I did, where you were nourished in the circumstances, where you were nourished with your parents having family altar and praying with you, where you felt the loving hands of your daddy upon you praying over your life and you heard the Bible stories in church and you knew from your earliest days on that you were loved. You, you grew up with your life being framed by the love of God. You grew up being nurtured on the milk of the love of God grace. You grew up in a home where parents loved you and welcomed you into this world. You were being formed at that very moment to understand just how amazing God's grace is. It mattered not whether you played football, baseball, soccer, or you were in ballet or dance or a cheerleader, but somehow or another, you were nurtured in the love and the grace of God. Give God thanks. Give God glory. Never let a day pass by and be sure you provide that kind of home for for your children. Be sure you provide that kind of home for your grandchildren. Be sure they see you as husband and wife loving each other and embracing each other and loving and embracing with them. But be sure they see you on your knees with your hands lifted up to heaven, flourishing in the grace of God, not out of legalism, not out of duty, but because as we read from Psalms 27 last night, we heard your call, O oh God, and we delight in your presence and we delight delight in thinking about you, and you have heard us as we call out to you. That's the flourishing of the grace of God. But for many in our church and in our congregation, that's not the home that you grew up in. Some of you grew up in homes of neglect. Some of you grew up in homes of abuse and abandonment. Some of you grew up in home where the only time you heard the name of Jesus when it was as a swear word, or you heard the name of God, it was a swear word. But somehow or another, God through a neighbor, God through a friend, God through a, an invitation to church, God through a radio show or a television broadcast, or God through a sign, somehow or another, God got hold of your heart and the Bible. Bible describes God as being rich and mercy and rich in grace. It doesn't matter your circumstances. If your life was not framed by the kind of love that I was just talking about, there is a God who wants to frame your life, embrace your life, and he's reaching out to you this morning. And if these words trouble your heart and disturb your heart, don't wobble, wobble, but run to the cross and run to Jesus and thank him for troubling your heart and the question arising, what shall I do? The answer is, get up and follow Jesus Christ with everything that's within you. God knows your name, God knows everything about you, and God loves you. Our schools, they need this kind of amazing love and grace being expressed through students. I will never forget, true, when the teacher kept describing what homes were like, Andrew said, that's not my home. So the teacher went on and he went, that's not my home. Finally, the teacher says to Andrew, well, what is your home like? 
So Andrew told me, he says, oh, my parents, they love each other. Embarrassingly so sometime. And the class was chuckling. He said, my parents love God. They love him. My dad and my mom, they love him. And he told the class and the teacher just let him go on. Another time the teacher was said that, you know, families don't eat together anymore. And Andrew's hand went up. You know, you never have to worry about what's on Andrew's mind. He just said, hey, when I'm says, mine does. And he described family dinners and he described breakfast at the house and prayer. Friends, hear me this morning. If your life was not embraced by that, then break that damnable chain of neglect and abuse and determine that with you, that chain is broken, that cycle is broken. Your children and your grandchildren and the generations that follow after you, their lives are going to be framed by the love of God who is rich in mercy and rich in grace and rich in love and begin to confess and pray over your family. Not my house, but my house shall be a house of the Lord. Can we praise him this morning? Break that chain. Paul would write in Ephesians 3, and I want you to, to listen carefully. I pray. And, and in the Greek, this is, there's deep pathos here. He's revealing the burden of his heart. I pray that from his glorious and unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. If that young rich ruler had recognized God had unlimited resources, that whatever he gave according to the command of God, God would have poured back in his life. Jesus wouldn't ask us to pray for the sick if he didn't intend for the sick to be healed. Jesus wouldn't tell us give and it would be given back to us if he didn't intend to bless us for our giving. Jesus wouldn't tell us to forgive so that we might be forgiven if we could not walk in the abundance of forgiving. Jesus would not tell us to show mercy if mercy was not going to be shown in our lives. Jesus would not tell us to walk in the light and we would inherit the deeds of the light if we were not going to inherit. God has unlimited resources to bless your life with. You will never break the bank of heaven. So he says, I pray from his unlimited resources. He'll strengthen your heart. Then Christ will make his home. Circle that word in your outline. Christ will make his home. Imagine a home where Jesus is Lord. Imagine a home where Jesus, how Zacchaeus' home changed where Jesus came in. How the home of Martha and Mary and Lazarus changed. How the home of Peter changed where Jesus came in. And Peter's mother-in-law was healed. And rather than sit there and just enjoy the blessings of God, she got up and began to serve the Lord and to serve others. See, when Christ makes his home in your life, suddenly you're home is different. He says Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. Circle that phrase, God's love. And now may you have the power to understand as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is. Circle that phrase, his love. May you experience the love of Christ. Circle that phrase, the love of Christ. Though it is too great to understand fully, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and the power that comes from God. I'm telling you that God has called you not to wither and weigh and die. God has called you to flourish. God has called you to prosper. God has called you to bloom and be fruitful in your life. That's the will of God. That's what happens when we follow after him. 
My father was a good farmer. He could make fields flourish. He could make things fruitful. He was a good, he could take a field that wouldn't grow anything. And when dad got done with it, that field would flourish and be fruitful and produce. I want to tell you something. God is a good gardener. God is a good vine dresser. God, when he is Lord of your life, he will cause you to flourish and be fruitful. And can I tell you something? Fruitfulness is fun. Ask any barren mother and father who haven't been able to have children, some young couple that wants to have children, ask them if barrenness is any fun. Ask this morning of the people who work all their lives and somehow or another they don't seem to have any fruit in their lives and they come to the end of their days and sin has consumed their wealth, sin has consumed their health, sin has consumed not a marriage but sometimes three and four marriages. Ask anyone whose sin has consumed their children and grandchildren and there's a bitterness and their grandchildren won't even attend the funeral and sometimes the children won't attend the funeral. Ask if there is any fun in barrenness. I submit to you, ladies and gentlemen, there is nothing fun. There is nothing glorious about a barren and dry life. But there is everything to rejoice when Jesus Christ makes his home in our lives and we flourish and we're fruitful. Fruitfulness is fun to the glory of God. That's the call of God for our lives. And then thirdly, we are called to love God. We're called to love him. It has always amazed me how easy it is for people to want to make the love of God and reduce it to just a list of commandments. In the next verse that I'm going to read you this morning, the Pharisees had done that. They were once again debating with Jesus because they just didn't like the Jesus style. They just didn't like the Jesus way. And sometimes you'll run in and bump into churches or even Christians. They really don't like the Jesus style or the Jesus way. So they come up with all kinds of lists and they come up with all kinds of rules and they make it more complicated than what it should be. The Pharisees had compiled a list of commandments and they would, out of the list of commandments, they distinguished 613 commands, 248 of them positive, 365 of them negative, and these to them had been the word of God. And they asked Jesus then, they asked him about these things. They tried to trap him and Jesus just simply, he took their list, he shredded it, he ran it right through the shredder and he says, look guys, let me tell you what it's really like. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first, and he's speaking to their list. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And a secondly, he speaking to their list, a secondly is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. And to you list makers, he says, and this entire law and the entire demands of the prophets, they are based upon these two commandments, that we love God and we love one another. I don't know about you, but rather than try to remember 638 commands, I sure do love remembering what the great commandment is all about this morning. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I have a cartoon in my files to remind me to be humble when I preach on these things. I pulled it out. I even put it in my notes. I didn't put it up on the screen, but I even put it in my notes just to remind myself. Have you ever had an annoying neighbor? 
That wasn't a good time to say amen. <laughs> Have you ever had that neighbor that you just got, of all the places they could live, you put them right next to me? <laughs> Have you ever had really good neighbors to move and then you just pray, oh God, please, please put the same kind of people back in there. You see, the way I treat this is so important, to love God. The way I treat people, my enemies, my neighbors, not just people who love me, but the way I treat people is a reflection of how I love God. And that's a hard one to swallow, especially for me. <laughs> I'm sure, and I, I mean this, I'm sure you're a lot purer-hearted than I am. But sometimes it's really hard for me. And the cartoon that I have is what I imagine that some of you think when I'm done preaching sometime. This man is walking out after the sermon and he looks at his pastor and he's got a scowl on his face and he looks at his pastor and says, I'd like to see you love my neighbor. <laughs> Maybe you were thinking that this morning while I was preaching that, and I, I just want to remind you, it's here to, to, to remind me of my own challenges and how I love people. C.S. Lewis wrote these words in a letter in 1952. He says, when I have learned to love God better than my earthly dearest, I shall love my earthly dearest better than I do now. Insofar as I have learned to love my earthly dearest at the expense of God and instead of God, I shall be moving to the state in which I shall not love my earthly dearest at all. When first things are put first, second things are not suppressed but increased. Friends, the key to loving my neighbor is not trying to love my neighbor more. It's loving God more because when Christ is first in my life and I love him with all my heart, my soul, my mind, and my strength. The Holy Spirit goes at work in me, sanctifying me, changing me, making me more like Jesus where I can love not only Becky and our children and you, but my enemies as well as anyone else because how I love people is a reflection of how I love God. And I would challenge you this week to sit down and as we said last week before we left the service, to evaluate ourselves, you love God intensely. You love God passionately. You love God and you embrace him. We, we sang a little chorus last night in prayer, sitting at his feet, sitting at his feet. That is where I want to be, is sitting at the feet of Jesus. Because when I leave the feet of Jesus, having sat in his presence, and I hope, I pray, that you have heeded my request to you last week in the message. Take five minutes and just be quiet. Don't talk to God, but listen to God. Don't try to empty your mind, but meditate upon the word because the more you love God, the more you will be able to love people. Fourthly, this morning, I'm called in to reveal that love of God. Now, that's not identical to what I just preached. Because what I want you to see is how we reveal the love of God. After the first service this morning, one of the folks who was leaving the service said to me, he says, Pastor, what happens when God blesses you so much? He says, right now, God has just blessed me so much and I've been so fruitful that it's painful with all the fruit 
that God has brought into my life. And bam, this doesn't happen often, but I had a wow moment. And I said, you got to excuse me. I got to go straight to my study and write this down. I don't know if you've ever been at that place. Because the first image that came into my mind was the disciples when they let down their nets and they caught so many fish, they had to call other boats to come and help. Remember that story? Help them bring in the catch. If you don't remember that story, if you, you know, that's not part of your memory banks and growing up. One time, all night and they had caught nothing. And, and Jesus said to them, he says, put out into the deep water. And they argued with Jesus. He says, Lord, we fished all night. I, we know what we're doing. We're fishermen. We know what we're doing. How many of you know Jesus knows more than you know? And so Jesus said, put out into the deep. And Peter said, Lord, at your word, only because it's your word, not because I say it, but because it's your word, we'll do it. And when they brought up the nets, they had so many fish, their fishing boats began to sink and they had to call from help from the shore. That image came to mind. And then I looked at them and I said, you know, I can remember when some of our trees, our pecan trees, when, when our fruit trees, our peach trees would get so heavy with fruit that daddy would have to go up and he would have to prop those limbs up with big branches and, I mean, with big sticks and he'd have to to put nets under to support because he wasn't as much work. Sometimes he would pull green fruit off because he didn't want the limbs to break. He, he would rather lose some of the fruit than to lose the tree that produced the fruit. Friends, I'm telling you, those pecan trees and those peach trees, they did not stand there going, oh, make fruit, make fruit. They didn't do that. They just simply did what God had designed them to do. Daddy had fertilized them. Daddy had watered them. Daddy had pruned them. Daddy had taken care of them. I'm telling you, God is a good God. And when God is supervising your life, when Jesus is Lord of all, you don't have to strain to be patient. You don't have to strain to be loving. You don't have to strain to be kind. It just happens because of the supernatural presence of the Holy Spirit. You can't help but reveal the love of Jesus Christ. My prayer is that some of you are going to get so fruitful that you're going to be hurting because of the fruit. Wouldn't that be a good place to be? That's a lot better than being barren, isn't it? Look at the Word of God. You are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underneath foot is worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it in a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. You see, you didn't make yourself salty and you didn't make yourself light. Jesus did that. God gave to those pecan trees and to those peach trees what they needed to be fruitful. When you live in Christ, if you abide in Christ and Christ abides in you, you will bear much fruit and herein is my Father glorified. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning? <laughs> Pascal says, do little things as if they were great. And because of the majesty of Jesus Christ who does them in us and who lives our life, do the greatest things as if they were easy and because of his omnipotence. 
With God, all things are possible. And then finally this morning, we are called to be fruitful. This is not a choice for the Christian. This is not a choice for the church. We are called to be fruitful. In Galatians 5, and verse 23, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love and joy and peace and patience, kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Two years ago, I asked you to take these fruit of the Spirit, and I ask you to take one a week and to pray each week, God, make me fruitful in this area. God, help me grow in this area. Have you ever been just so rushed and so harried and so hurried, and then you meet somebody with patience and they say, it's okay. I don't mind taking time. I, I don't mind helping you. Somebody recently bumped into me that my wife had helped them with some tax problems that they'd had, and, and Becky never talks to me about those issues, but this person came to me and says, I came to see your wife, and I was so worried. I was so scared. I was getting threatening letters from the IRS, and I didn't know what to do. I, I didn't even know I had done wrong. And says, Becky just looked at me and says, it's okay. Just stop worrying. We're going to get this solved. I'm going to help you. Just stop worrying. And she took the time and she walked them through and she worked them through and she worked with the IRS and they walked out and instead of owing the IRS, the IRS owed them money. Wouldn't you like for that to happen in your life? You see, that's what happens when God produces his fruit in you. The enemy is trying to rob and to steal and to kill from the people you love. But when somebody comes into your life filled with the fruit of the Spirit, they bring into your life the abundance of God. And where you were frightened and where you were fearful and where you didn't understand what was going on, the Holy Spirit will work through you to bring not only forgiveness, but God will bring to you that that you don't even deserve and make even, and the IRS is not the devil, but make even the devil, it may feel like it sometimes, but make even the devil pour back into your life what he stole from you. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for that? And what a joy it is when you meet those faithful people that you've done life with over the years and you know that you can count on them and you know that they're always going to be there. You get caught in a jam and you know it doesn't matter, but you pick up the phone at two o'clock in the morning and they answer and they say, it's no problem, it's a joy and they come and they help you because they love Jesus and they love you. You see, all of us have experienced someone who has shown us the glory of God. And we are thankful for those kind of people, but God calls you and me to be those kind of people as well. So I'm asking you, I'm asking you as a congregation, I'm asking you as individuals this morning, don't for one moment think, well, we're a good church. Don't think for one moment that we're a nice church. Don't think for just, don't let the devil deceive us because we love one another and we love to sing the songs and our children have done 
so marvelously of fine arts. We will celebrate all of that. We will give God thanks for all of that. But you see, it's not a silo church that God has called us to be. It's not a barnyard church that God has called us to be. But God calls us out of this spot to go into their spot and to be the salt in their spot, to be the light in their spot, to be patient in their spot, to be kind in their spot, to feed the hungry, to nurse the sick. God has called us to be fishermen's of man. He has not just called us into the kingdom, but he says, if you will follow me, I will show you how to fish for the souls of men. You don't have to just worry about memorizing four easy steps to become a Christian. I don't like that to begin with. What you need to do is be fruitful in your world of lost friends and lost neighbors. What can God do through us if we say, have your own way in me? Will you dream that dream with me? And will you take this, not just as someone preaching this morning that hasn't had to do these things, but someone that the impossible things Becky and I have seen happen time and time again. Time and time again. It's a good God. And maybe God has put you in a barren place so that you can make it a fruitful place. First time I went to Israel, I gotta tell you, I was not impressed. I thought, there ain't no milk and honey here. <laughs> this place was barren. The only thing that made it special was it was where Jesus had walked. made it special was that the stories of the Bible but then as I went to places like in Getty and I saw what happened in barren places I wrote in my journal may every place that God ever sends me to that is barren may I be used of God to make that a fruitful and flourishing place barrenness doesn't determine your future. Our barrenness didn't determine our future as a family. God is able to make the impossible become possible for you when you follow his call. Amen? Stand with me this morning.
trouble this morning. You may be a member of this church. I may know you, but not know that you're not fully sold out to Jesus. You may like the music, you like the preaching, but you've been wobbling in your faith and you are not passionately following Jesus. Confess that to him this morning. And don't be afraid of God's call on your life. If there's something God puts his finger on, give it to him. He will make you flourish. Love him this morning. Oh, love him, church. given your life to Jesus. You're not here by an accident on this daylight saving time's morning. This is the last place you would have chosen to be when you could have laid in bed. But you're here because God loves you. You're here. I'm telling you there's a supernatural hand at work in your life this morning. And God has sent me here to tell you He's calling you this morning. Asking you right now, would you call out to Jesus to have mercy upon you? Don't wobble. There's a real heaven, there's a real hell, and you have no promise of tomorrow. I'm not being negative, I'm not being dismal. I'm just telling you, I have lived long enough to leave after preaching only that night to get a call that somebody has slipped into eternity that was in the service I had just preached. Don't wobble this morning, but choose Christ. Choose to answer his call. That whosoever calls upon me, the Lord says, I will not cast them out. God will forgive you of your sins. God will save you and restore you. And the devil may be whispering to you right now, not now, don't do it now. His desire is only to damn your life. Christ has come to save you this morning. Hallelujah. 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 Love your neighbor. Ask God by his sanctifying power to touch you. Hallelujah. If you've never given your life to Christ or you need to rededicate, I want you to pray this prayer with me right now. Just pray it. Say, Lord Jesus, I hear you calling me this morning. Somehow or another, deep in my soul,
to be a child of God today. So with everything that's within me, as much as I know how, I give my life to you. Hallelujah. Lord, if you pray that, angels in heaven are rejoicing. I'm rejoicing. Talk to Jesus and love him for just a moment, but let me talk to some others. If you're if you're in a barren place right now, you've been tempted to give up. If you're in a barren place and it seems like you've just not been able to be fruitful, God may be calling you to leave that place and to journey to a land of milk and honey. If you'll follow God, He'll bring you to a fruitful place. Or God may be calling you to stay right where you're at, but instead of trying to make it happen just relax the peach tree the fruit trees all they have to do is let God take care of them God will cause you to be fruitful hallelujah so would you give your barren place to the Lord and say God if it's time to move I want to move but if this is where you planted me Lord I want to put down roots deep in your love here and be fruitful. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. Now, Lord, I bless your people. I pray the face, your holy face, your loving face will shine upon them. I pray, God, that you will give them grace and peace. I pray, Lord, that today as they leave this place, that no matter, Lord, whatever else is happening in this world, remind them they're on the solid rock. And God, I pray that you're going to make them winsome, attractive. You're going to make them the fishers of people, Lord. And that between now and Easter, that God, we're going to love people to you. you committed your life to Jesus, not if you prayed these other prayers with me, but you committed your life to Jesus, and no one's looking around but me, would you just slip up your hand and say, Pastor, I've committed my life to Christ today, and hold it up high this morning. Anyone? God bless you, God. God bless you. God bless you. Three, four. God bless you. Five. God bless you, sir. Six. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Anyone else? Pastor, I'm committing my life to Jesus Christ today. Oh, church, let's rejoice. Let's rejoice. Let's rejoice in the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, rejoice in the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Pastor Rick is coming. He's going to tell you. You can be seated. If you prayed that prayer with me, he's going to tell you some stuff we want to give you and help you please fill out a card and just let me know that you committed your life to Christ I'll be at that back door I want to meet you anyway and just hug you and thank God for what he did in your life and then I have one on one today don't I? so if you want to know more about our church I know this is a tough day for some but if you want to know more about our church in about 20 minutes 30 minutes I'm going to be teaching Discovering Woodland, and I'd love for you to be in that class with me today. But hasn't God been good? Hasn't been, aren't you glad you got up this morning?